So the founder of Twitter thinks that the internet is broken. He actually said that in a, a New York Times article back in May of last year, May of 2017. He said, I think that the internet is broken. Um, and it's ironic because uh, his name's Evan Williams, and he was one of the founders, and he said that his vision for Twitter originally was that he wanted to create an opportunity for people to be able to have the freedom to come and express themselves in whatever way that they wanted to. Uh, so his, his, his vision for Twitter was freedom, and he thought, he actually said in the article that, that, that uh, I'll just read you a, a well, before I read you this quote, let me ask you to think about this. Think about Twitter now, and think about Facebook now, and Instagram now, and think about all the things that it's used to do now. I mean, there are, you know, there's rampant violence <laughs> that we see on social media. Fake news is a big thing, right? You never know what you can trust. Even videos can be doctored. There's abuse and bullying. That's a big deal, right? Uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, bullying, a lot of slander, uh, a lot of jealousy and body image issues because people are, you know, posting pictures of themselves and it's not really them and there's Photoshop and, and, and a lot of young girls are, are uh, thinking they need to reach these expectations that are not realistic, right? And, and not to mention, we're addicted to it. We're addicted to, to, to social media and to technology. Many people, I know not everybody in here is, but a lot of people are addicted to it. And, and here's what Evan Williams said in his May 2017 article. He said that, I thought once everybody could speak freely and exchange information and ideas, the world would automatically be a better place. I was wrong about that. It turns out that the very things we think bring freedom actually bring slavery and corruption. Just think about Adam and Eve in the garden, right? The serpent came to them and promised them that they could have freedom, that they could have wisdom, that they could finally break free from the shackles of God. Yeah, God had put you in this garden and he's given you some fruit, but he's, he's withholding the best fruit from you. There's something better. And there's freedom if you'll just come and you'll disobey God and you'll eat of this fruit. We all know the result of that story when they listen to the serpent. You see, sin promises what it can't deliver on. Sin makes promises to you that it cannot keep. Now, last week, we talked about the essence of sin. We talked about what is sin. We answered that question, and we said that, that sin is, is repressing and replacing the truth about God. So we, we hold down, we silence the truth about God. Romans 1 says that we all know it. We all know there's a God, whether you want to admit it or not. You're, you might be twisting the truth or suppressing the truth or running from the truth, but somewhere deep down, everybody in, on this planet knows it, and we're suppressing it, and then we replace it. We, we, we get God substitutes called idols, and we look, if we're not looking to God for our satisfaction and for our safety and for our comforts and for our pleasure, then we're looking to something else for those things, and that's an idol. That's a substitute. So that's what we talked about last week, and this week, we're going to talk about the effect of sin. So that's what sin is, but what are the effects? What has happened because people made in God's image have chosen to repress the truth about God and replace the truth? And that's what the last part of Romans chapter 1 is going to tell us. So we're going to start uh, in verse 23, Romans 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the tables in front of you. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, you're free to take that with you. Romans is after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. So it's in the New Testament, probably about uh, four-fifths of the way through your Bible. 
So Romans chapter 1, it'll also be on the screen behind me. We'll start in verse 23. Here's the word of God. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless." Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Now, there is a refrain that happens three times in that passage. And um, whenever you see something repeated over and over again in a passage in the Bible, that's like God's big flashing arrow going, pay attention to this, pay attention to this, okay? And three times in that passage, we heard a phrase. Does anybody know which phrase I'm talking about? God gave them up, exactly. Three times it says that God gave them up. Let's look at them. It's verse 24, 26, and 28. Let's look at them one by one. Look at uh, each time it says that, it's, it's a response. It's God's response to our refusal to worship God as God. So look at the first one, verse 23 and 24. It says, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. So what's the response? Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies. How about the second one, verse 25 and 26? It says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator. For this reason, for what reason? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then the last one, Verse 28, it's a little bit different, but I'll, but I'll show it to you here. Verse 28 starts with this word since. It says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, so that's the cause, right? Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. That's the effect. So the cause, they did not see fit to acknowledge God, therefore God gave them over to a debased mind. So every time God's response to people exchanging the truth about God for a lie, for putting something else on the throne in God's place, God's response is to give them up. In, in, a, in essence, God's saying, okay, if that's what you want. And he, and he doesn't stand in your way. Here's a good way to sum it up. The sin that people love is the judgment that they deserve. The sin that people love is the judgment that they deserve. Uh, this is often called depravity. Maybe you've heard the, uh, the word depravity. It's, it's a theological word. Essentially, depravity means to be a slave to sin. Okay? Uh, it means 
uh, incapable of being righteous and pure. Now, there's a, there's a couple of properties to depravity, depravity if you will, uh, that, that, are, that are highlighted in this text. One of them is the blindness of depravity. Depravity doesn't know that it's depraved. Depravity is blind. Uh, Jen uh, reminded me of a story when we were talking this week. Uh, when we first moved to Canada, we were living in Pickering, and we, were, we went to the Pickering Town Center sometimes to share the gospel. And her and a friend, a girl she was discipling, they went and they uh, walked up to a guy and got into a gospel conversation with him. He was one of the people that was uh, trying to get people to come to the blood bank and donate blood. Um, and they're easy target because he can't go anywhere. He can't run away. So, right? so, they, so they go up to him and they start talking to him. And uh, they get into a, a conversation. It's pretty clear that he was kind of like into to new ageism and, and, you know, kind of, you know, like we worship the planet and, you know, the trees and stuff like that. And uh, that, uh, Jen's friend noticed he had a necklace on. It had, a, it had like a, a stone, a, a crystal in it or something like that and, and said like, hey, I, I like your necklace. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, I wear this because it, it keeps me grounded. It keeps me grounded. And then they noticed that he, uh, Jen had noticed the whole time that he had his hand clenched, kind of like this. And then at that point, he opened his hand and he had a bunch of, of rocks, crystals in his hand. He began to point one by one. He, he said, well, this one, yeah, this one keeps me, keeps me level, right? This one uh, kind of, uh, it brings me good luck with my relationships. And, and this one uh, brings good vibes so that, so that my family stays healthy. And, and he just continued to point one by one to these little rocks, it reminded me of Isaiah 44, 18 to 20. God is, is talking here about uh, the foolishness of idolatry. Here's what he says. He says, They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I've burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten, and shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? So what this passage is talking about is, is a person who's gone and cut down a tree, and with some of the wood, he's built a fire to make his meal on, and he's eating his dinner. And with the rest of the wood that from the tree, he carves it and makes an idol out of it and then falls down before it and prays to it and asks it and pleads with it for help and asks it to make it rain so that the crops come. Just like the man who was placing his hope in rocks, in rocks, praying to rocks. Folks, depravity is blind, blind. Blind people pray to rocks and wood. And, and if we, we shouldn't be too quick to throw stones, no pun intended, at these people. Because just because you might not bow down before a block of wood or a rock, if you place your faith and your trust in anything for your comfort, for your security, for your pleasure, if you're placing it in something besides God, that could be a person, it could be money, it could be a career choice, it could be anything you're just as blind as the person falling in front of a block of wood because they cannot deliver and they cannot save. Depravity is also total. Depravity is also total. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12 says this. Paul sums it up. He says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. 
No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So what this passage is saying right here is that all people are incapable of doing good. All people, apart from Christ. Now, there's a lot of people that would have a, uh, an objection to that statement and that would say, I disagree with that. I know lots of people who do good things and do good deeds, and they have good motives, to which I would respond, there are no pure motives, totally pure motives outside of Christ. There are no pure motives outside of Christ. Here's the deal. In everything that we do, we're either glorifying God or we are glorifying something else. And usually that something else is ourself, right? In everything that you do, you're doing it for some reason, for somebody. It's either for God or it's for self. So if you're not doing it to glorify God, then it's not pleasing to God. It's not good. It's not pure. Think about it. There are plenty of hidden motives and reasons that people do good deeds. Some people do good deeds because it it makes them feel better about the sin that they do commit, right? It's kind of like there's that scale. A lot of people, uh, the world kind of thinks with a karma mindset, right? If I do more, if my good outweighs my bad on the scale, I'm in good shape, right? And then I'll be blessed. As long as I can keep that good deed thing, you know, going, as soon as the bad deeds start to outweigh, I need to go and do some good deeds and, and get tip the scales again. People use good deeds to cover up their sin. A lot of times, be, because we're made in God's image, um, the reality is, is that we, we kind of get these warm and fuzzies whenever we do good things. That's because God created us to do good things. He created us to love one another and to love him. So there is a sense in which even people who are not Christians, even people who don't have the Spirit of God, they intuitively know deep down that like it's a good thing to feed somebody who's hungry, right? Like that makes you feel good. Whether you're a Christian or not, it's going to feel good to feed somebody who's hungry. But oftentimes the motivation is because people just want to feel good. It makes them feel better about themselves when they go and they do good things. They're not doing it to glorify God, but it makes them feel good. People also want to build their identity oftentimes. They want to be seen as a philanthropist. They want to be seen as, as, as a good person or the person that stands up for the weak. They want to be loved and affirmed. They love being told how selfless they are, how merciful they are, how giving they are. The reality is, guys, is that good deeds, no matter what, they always fall short. It's possible to do something good if you're not a Christian, but our good deeds don't do any good. They don't do us any good, if that makes sense. They don't do us any good eternally. Everything that we do is tainted by sin outside of Christ. Everything. It's all tainted. None of it is totally pure. It's all touched by sin. We must be born again from the inside out for anything pure to come out from us. Jesus said, out of the heart comes the overflow, right? So what's the result of this worldwide depravity? If no one does good, not even one, if all have turned aside, everyone has gone to his own way, well, the result is that brokenness has entered into the world. Just look around us. Listen to that passage we read earlier, right? Things are messed up. There's, yeah, there's there's beauty in the planet outside of us, and we can see remnants of beauty, but there's a lot of darkness. 
John Piper says this. This, is, this quote really stood out to me. It's on the screen behind me. Or it should be. There it is. He says, the solar system of our soul and our society was made to orbit around the glory of God as its all-controlling sun. And the entire human race has exchanged the glory of God for weightless substitute satellites that have no gravity and can hold nothing in its proper orbit. In other words, Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says, talking about Jesus, says, In him all things hold together. Jesus holds everything together. And what man says is, God, get out of my sex life. I don't want you telling me what to do with my sex life. God, get out of my marriage. I don't want you telling me what to do with my marriage. God, get out of my finances. I don't want you telling me what to do with my money. And God says, very well then, in the very thing that holds everything together in your finances and everything together in your marriage, when he is removed, chaos ensues. There's nothing to hold. There's no more gravity holding it down, guys. You want to know why your life is a mess? Why you can't get stuff together? Because you've kicked the sun out of his place. The one who holds all things together isn't there anymore. You have kicked him out. No wonder your life is a disaster. No wonder you can't get things together. No wonder your loved ones can't get things together. What's the solution? He must be put back in his place. He must be put back in his place. There are specific ways that this brokenness is is seen in our lives, um, that this passage shows us. You know, one of the one of the ways that this brokenness is most clearly seen is that is that where people are enslaved to their destructive cravings. Like people are enslaved to things that they know are hurting them and are not good for them, but they can't stop doing them. Y'all, y'all, y'all have seen people like that, right? And you've probably been there before too. I think all of us have those things in our lives, maybe in our past or even right now, where we've said, I know that's not good for me, but I'm having a real tough time stopping it, right? Paul says it's a lust for impurity. We burn with desire for the very things that destroy us. I have, uh, I love my dog. My dog's name is Timbit. Some of you guys know Timbit. He's a cute little nugget of a dog, um, but he's also frustrating at times. And uh, one of the things about Timbit uh, is that Timbit loves chocolate, loves it. Well, if you don't know, uh, chocolate is very toxic to dogs. Uh, chocolate is poisonous to dogs. So about, I guess it was last year, I don't remember what, but um, we were actually here on a Sunday morning, and we, were, we had a baptism scheduled, and I think, was it Sharon? Sharon, was that your baptism? That was, that was Sharon's baptism. We were going to have it at our house, and Jen and I walk in the house right before that's about to start, and there is, there is throw up everywhere. I mean everywhere, on the couch, on the floor, I'm talking about all over the house, and the dog is in the corner, like, shivering and shaking, and there is an entire bag of chocolate chips that was there and is not anymore. He had actually opened up the cabinet and gotten it out. Um, So Jen calls me and says, ah, I think he's scared. He's shaking. And I said, how much did he eat? She said, the whole bag. And I said, Jen, he's he's not scared. He's dying. And so we had to take him to the emergency room. Um, The vet said that he ate enough chocolate to kill two dogs his size, and somehow he made it out. He made it out alive. Uh, And, uh, you know, so we were able to to get through that. Everything got cleaned up. Sharon got baptized, um, and it was very stressful, uh, but it all worked out. But then a few months later, we came home, and it was Easter, 
And, you know, we had those little Easter egg things, you know, chocolate things. And luckily, they're the really cheap kind of chocolate. So dark chocolate is really bad for dogs. And they were kind of the cheaper kind of chocolate. But we get home, and there's these stinking wrappers all over the floor, like four or five of them. And I was so mad, y'all. I was like, you stupid dog. You are so dumb. You almost died a few months ago, and you're going right back to the very thing that's poisoning you and killing you. And after I got over it, I thought, what a great sermon illustration. What a great illustration of what we do over and over and over again is we go back to the things that poison us. Still to this day, he, I get chocolate out, and I'm smelling it. He's like, you know, just like, oh, please, please, give me some chocolate, give me some chocolate. And I'm like, you're insane, dog. But he's a dog, so that's part of it. Why do people go over and over, uh, go over and over again to know what they know is destructive? Why does the, the young man keep going back to the pornography website even though he knows it doesn't make him happy? Why does the obese person continue to go to the fast food restaurant over and over and over again? Why does the angry person continue to turn to rage even though they know the rage doesn't really make them feel better? It's because they're enslaved to doing what they want to do. The only thing they can't do is the thing they need to do, which is to break free and find life. You see, depravity means that we are only free to choose sin, and only God can set us free. I'll illustrate it like this. We, we do have a choice. We have free will, okay? We, you have a choice to be righteous and a choice to be unrighteous, but it's kind of like a lion. If you were to set down a bowl of wheat and a bowl of meat in front of a lion, and we were to do that 250 times, I can guarantee you every single time, all 250 times, that lion's going to go for the bowl of meat first and only, right? Why is that? Why is the lion going to go for the bowl of meat over the bowl of wheat? What? More satisfying? Well, why? Because it's a lion, right? Do lions eat wheat? No, they don't eat wheat, in case you didn't know. No, they don't. Lions eat meat. They, it's in his very nature to eat meat. That's why he's never going to go to the wheat, even though you could sit there and talk to the lion and say, you know, Mr. Lion, if you'd like, you could try the wheat this time instead of the meat, but the lion's just going to go, I can't hear you, man. All I see is that big fat steak, and I'm going for it again, over and over and over again, because that's what lions do. Just like that's what sinners do, is again and again and again, they go after sin. Because it's in our nature. We need our very nature changed, guys. That's why we need to be born again. That's why we need to be changed from the inside out. God's design is also distorted. That's another effect. That's another way that we see brokenness having its effects on our world. God's design is, perverted, uh, is distorted and perverted. We see that in verse 26 and 27. It says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now I know a lot of you have been sitting there wondering, is he going to get to that part? Because I have questions about that. Um, you know, verse 24, when, when Paul, just before that, when he says, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity... Um, that's also a primarily a reference to sexual sin. So Paul is, is, is kind of hitting, uh, he's using sexual sin a couple of times here as an example, um, but he seems to be highlighting, uh, uh, highlighting it as if it's important. Why is that? And, and why does it seem like Paul is singling homosexuality out? 
Why is that? Well, listen to Ephesians 5, 31 to 32, and this may help us understand why. Here's what Paul says in another letter in Ephesians 5. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So what Paul is saying is he's saying that marriage is meant to be a picture, the the right order of marriage is meant to be a picture of the right order of worship, okay? So worship, the way that, that we relate to each other in marriage is meant to reflect the way that we are supposed to relate to God as people, all right? But as we've already seen in Romans 1, we've exchanged the glory of God for images. So what is God's judgment? And and what is God's response to that? God has given them up to dishonorable passions, i.e. sexual sin. God has given us up to sexual sin. He's given the human race up to sexual sin. So now the disordering of our relationship to God is reflected in our disordered sexual relationships with each other. Does that make sense? Just as just as our, our pure sexual relationships within marriage should be a picture of the right relationship we should have with God, the impure sexual relationships outside of a heterosexual committed marriage are a, re- are a reflection of the disorder between our relationship with God. And that is seen most clearly, but not exclusively, but most clearly in homosexuality. Why is that? Is it because Pastor Jared wants to pick on homosexuality? Is it because the Bible wants to pick on it? No. It's because homosexual sin is unnatural, like the text says. They are unnatural relations. Just as it's unnatural to worship creation rather than the creator, it is unnatural for man to lie with man and woman to lie with woman. Just like it's unnatural for man to commit adultery and sleep with another woman who's not his wife. It's obvious that it's unnatural when you really think about it, when you really think about the purpose of why God made sex. It's very obvious that it's unnatural, that that it's not meant to be that way, just as it's obvious that worshiping a block of wood is unnatural. But you see, the human race is blind to it. Sinners are blind to it. And so what do people do instead? They demand their right to do what is unnatural. And that is the judgment of God upon sin. Now, let me remind you that our greatest problem, no matter who you are in this room, no matter who you are in this world, whether you are heterosexual or homosexual, our greatest problem is exchanging the glory of God for images. So if you or someone that you love or care about is homosexual or struggles with same-sex attraction, we and Jesus do not look at you as worse than somebody else. Nobody looks at you as worse, all right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us. All sexual sin is a distortion of God's design, whether it's homosexual sin or heterosexual sin, but God does have a design within which he has put sex, and that's within a committed marriage between a man and a woman. Now, we want Fellowship Oshawa to be a safe place, and we want to be able to talk with you, and we want you to know that it's safe for you to talk about this, 
that nobody gets shamed, that nobody gets judged, that nobody's going to be beat over the head if you're struggling with same-sex attraction or if you are homosexual. We will work with you through that, and we want to walk with you through that. Christ died for sinners, and the biggest issue, no matter who we are and no matter what your sexual orientation is, is that we have exchanged the glory of God for images. The last place that, that this um, brokenness is clearly manifested is that there is utter moral chaos. You notice how this passage kind of descends deeper and deeper into kind of chaos until we get to this big long list in verses 29 to 31. It goes from bad to worse. I mean, Paul says that they were, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, Right? There's this increasing level of, of rebellion against God. Right? There's this, there's, people are, are, are burning with lust for anything and everything except for God. And then he says they're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers. So we, we, we treat each other terribly. Right? You, see it, you see it online, you see it in the schools where bullying is going on, you see it with, you know, across the world where there, are, there is genocide happening right now. There are people who are, being, uh, who are being mistreated because of the color of their skin. There are people who are being mistreated because of their religion. It's everywhere and it's evil and it's wicked. We're treating each other terribly when we were meant to love one another. It says we're haters of God and insolent, haughty, and boastful, right? Even though we go and do these things, we, we, we are so arrogant as to think that we can sit on judgment of God and tell God how we think he should run the world and refuse to believe in him because he's not doing things the way that we think they should be done. And I don't really like what the Bible has to say, so I'm just not going to believe that. It's pride. It's boastfulness. Inventors of evil, boy, I tell you what. I see, that's what I see when I look around. People are inventing new ways to do evil. Like literally, we're coming up with new ways by the week to do evil things. This is a hard world to raise your children in. It's a hard world to raise your children in. It's a hard world to be a Christian, to be a faithful Christ follower in. There's a lot of darkness around us. There's a lot of temptation around us. There's a lot of distraction around us. And not only that, but a lot of people are brash and defiant about it. You know, you see verse 32, they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. You know, I I think about um, the Shout Your Abortion movement, which is basically a a movement that was started by people who, uh, women who have abortions, and and, um, they go and they proudly share their story and, you know, demand that everybody applaud them. Um, and I, I was going to actually try to find a story that I could use as, a, as an illustration for that, guys. And I'll just be quite honest with you, I can't, they're, they're so horrific, I can't even share them. They're that horrific. The callousness with which people talk about and handle human life is absolutely heart-wrenching. It's absolutely heart-wrenching. Um, pride, gay pride. It's just another example of man shaking his fist at God and his design. Again, like we're not saying that any of those sins is worse than any other sin, but I'm just telling you 
the Bible is very relevant <laughs> because we see it all around us. Now, that's our world, and there's some of you in this room right now. I, I, I was not going to say this this morning, but as I was praying, and this text has been laying heavy, heavy, heavy on me this morning. I felt the weight of this because I see it all around me. I know how, how, how dark things really are. I, I'm, I'm tired. I'm burdened. Because we, we go out and we, we share the gospel again and again and again. And I look at all these homes all around us. And I know that almost every single one of these homes represents another person who didn't want to hear the gospel. Who doesn't, who doesn't want to hear what God has to say. Who's continued to reject it and reject it. And I know the incredible gift of salvation that's available to them. And I want them to know it so bad. I want them to receive it so bad. And I know there's some of you who are in here this morning and you're running from God. You know it. I know it. And he knows it. And I want you to know that you are in grave danger. You are in grave danger. This is not a story. This is God's word. You can say, well, I don't want to believe the Bible because I don't really, I don't really like what it says because it, it doesn't agree with what I think is the truth. You can say that if you want. You can suppress the truth if you'd like. You can twist the truth if you'd like. You can run from the truth if you like. But I'll tell you what, the devil is happy to get you to believe anything if it'll keep you in the dark. He will. You are running from God. You know why I know you're running from God deep down inside? Deep down, the real reason you're running from God is because you've bought the lie that he can't be trusted. You've bought the lie that he can't be trusted. He's going to judge me if I'm honest about my sin. If he really knew, if you, Pastor Jerry, really knew what goes on in the dark corners of my life and what's gone on in my past, you would know that there's no way I can ever be honest with God or anybody else about my life. It's a lie. Following Jesus is just going to be a life of slavery to rules. If I decide to do that, then I'm just going to have to give up on fun for the rest of my life. That's a lie. That's a lie. The truth is, is like God says in Exodus 34, 6, and 7, he says, I am merciful and gracious. I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I forgive iniquity and transgression and sin. He actually repeats, repeats all three words that are used for sin in the Bible. Why does he do that? Because he wants you to know the totality of the, of the cross. That the blood of Jesus covers all sin, iniquity and transgression and sin, no matter what you've done and no matter where you've been and no matter where you are this morning, God's grace is able to cover your sin. You think that following Jesus is a life of slavery to rules? Jesus says in John 10.10, I came that you may have life and have it to the fullest. I can testify to you right now that I'm having way more fun than I ever had before I came to Christ, and I've got a lot more peace and a lot more joy about it because I'm not running from God anymore. I'm not running from him anymore. I know the one to whom I belong, and I know he is able to keep what I have entrusted to him until that day when Jesus returns. I know where I'm going when I die. This morning, I was thinking about, I don't know if you ever have that thought where you're having a really good time, enjoying something, or you know, there's a, you know, you're just in a really fun season of your life, and, and you get that feeling like, man, I wish this would never end. Right, like I wish this would last forever, and but in the back of your mind, you kind of know that. I mean, some sometime it's not going to. Right? I don't ever have to worry that this is going to end. 
I get to do this for eternity. I get to sing praises to King Jesus forever. I get to declare the excellencies of God forever. I get to do what I love more than anything in the world for the rest of my life and for all eternity even after I die, and you can too. Do you want to? Do you want to receive Jesus' forgiveness this morning? The, the storm clouds are dark and the rain is starting, but the door of the ark is still open. There's still time to come in before the floodwaters rise. And that door to the ark, his name is Jesus. And God's response to our defiance, I, I don't want you to miss the just how incredible this is. That, those verses that we just read, that, that the deceit and the maliciousness and the hate, haters of God and the boastful and, and the inventors of evil, what is God's response to that? What is God's response? He sends his one and only son, Jesus, and he subjects Jesus to our violence, to the very violence that made Jesus have to come in the first place. Jesus came, and boy, we see verses 29 to 31 played out right before our eyes on, at Calvary, right? We see, we see the worst that man has to offer at Calvary. Jesus comes and in their hatred of God and in their, in their seething rage as Jesus is, is there before them, the, the, very, the very Son of God, the truth, they say, oh, we're going to suppress you for the final time. We're going to put nails in your hands and in your feet until you suffocate and die. Oh, but that was God's plan from the beginning. Because what man meant for evil, God meant for good. And three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. And Jesus is alive. And he did it for you. And he's coming back again. Don't reject the grace of God. Please don't reject the grace of God. He did it for you. Come to him this morning. Come to him this morning. I don't care where you are or what you've done or where you've been. Don't put it off. God, please, I pray right now, if there's anybody in this room that is on the fence about whether or not they want to come to you, whether they can trust you, I pray that you would open the eyes of their heart and that they would see. King Jesus, I pray that they would see that they can trust you and that today would be the day of salvation, that they would stop running. I pray for any who have backslidden, who maybe they had, they had once placed their faith and trust in you, God, but they have drifted. God, they've drifted back into their, to their old ways. and Lord, they've been going back to the dishonorable passions. They've, like Lazarus, like they've, they've, they've put their grave clothes back on after they were raised from the dead. Lord, I pray that they would know that right now they can come back to you because you are merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because Jesus, you took the full brunt of wrath on the cross. You drained the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs. You endured the flood so that we could come into the ark. Guys, there's, um, there's coming a day, and we don't know when, but we know that the trumpet's going to sound, the sky is going to crack, and Jesus is coming back for us. He's coming for his people, and he's coming to bring us home. Now, on that day, it's going to be too late to make the decision. Don't wait to make that decision, because you don't want to miss out on what Jesus is going to do. You know what the Bible says he's going to do? 
says that he's going to make all things new. He's going to, all, all this brokenness that we've seen in Romans chapter 1, the, the, the destruction of sin, the effects of sin, he's going to reverse all of it, all of it. Death, sin, darkness, temptation, the devil, it's all going to be completely and utterly destroyed forever and ever and ever, and it's never coming back. And you're going to be with him, and you're going to see him as he is. I know you might have questions. All those questions are going to be answered, I promise you. The only, the only answer you need right now is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you can trust him. That's the answer you need right now. Um, I just want you guys to close your eyes and bow your heads, please. And instead of doing discussion questions this morning, um, I'm going to ask uh, Josiah to come up and, and just play on the keys, if you would, brother. Um, just, and as Josiah is playing, I want you guys to spend some time with God on your own, um, just praying to your silently to yourself. Um, you can stand, you can kneel, or you can stay seated in your chair. Uh, and I just want you to spend a few minutes in prayer. And if God is, um, if God is calling you and speaking to you this morning, and you know He's either calling you to Him for the first time, or He's calling you to come back to Him, then I want you to make that decision to do that. This morning, we want to help you. We want to help you learn to follow Jesus. So um, with every head bowed, every eyes closed, please, every single one in here in this room, every single one, every head, every eye, please. If that's you and you know that every head, every eye, every head, every eye bowed, closed. If that's you and you know that you need to come to Jesus again this morning, would you just look up at me? Close your, you can close your eyes and bow your head again. If, um, if that was you, then um, I just want to invite you um, after we're done to, to come, and, and I'd love to talk with you uh, more about that. 